You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Well, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am thrilled to introduce you to Mark Schenker, who is an SEO copywriter and content marketer who runs the glorious company, which partners with tech and marketing companies to increase their revenue through organic traffic. Mark, thank you for being here. My pleasure, Darian. Thanks for reaching out to me. So, okay, first thing I got to ask, when you introduce yourself, and, and I've heard different people use different terms, when someone who works in SEO, they call themselves, they say, I am an SEOer, or I do SEO, or I'm an SEOite, or wh- wh- how do you SEO people refer to themselves who do SEO professionally? I would just go with the acronym SEO. So I'm an SEO. <laughs> I work yeah. in search engine optimization. Yeah, everyone says different things. Yeah, so I work in search engine optimization. I because it's you know a newer job. It's part of that kind of new collar economy, and so the people are totally. still figuring out. Yeah, what do we call it? And I think it's said so well. It's a very unregulated industry as well, and and especially SEO, where I think so many people can self claim themselves as an SEO expert. But you know, we want to make sure that people are aware of what it is SEO and and what it's all about. Hundred percent. It's awesome. So, okay, big question is, we hear this term all the time. It's really exciting. People really love it, content marketing. But tell me about the relationship between content marketing and SEO and how those two worlds connect and correlate. Sure. So from my point of view, you can't have one without the other. SEO is really the the backbone of a successful content marketing strategy. I mean, technically, each can exist separately But when they work together, when you have the data that you get from SEO research, like keyword research is just one example, that's really where the magic and the net results happen for your clients. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to use acronyms like SEO and copywriting, but your clients, they need and they deserve more traffic, conversions, and it comes down to revenue, of course. And as a good content marketer, you want to deliver that value to your clients because obviously you want to help them grow, but also because you have pride in what you're doing. And in my case, I have a big passion for SEO and content marketing. So I would say that they work hand in hand. So what do you think, like chicken and egg, which comes first, content marketing strategy or the SEO strategy? Definitely SEO. So that is the absolute backbone, fundamental. I mean, you can go ahead and you can just, you know, write any blog post, write any landing page, any service page. For example, if you're a local business and you're trying to, you know, get traffic from your local area, but that's not going to, you know, have as much effect as an SEO strategy that's actually informed by things like what, for example, are the relevant keywords that your client's audience leads ideal market is looking for. And of course, once you have an idea of that, you can create content around that data in a more targeted way. So you're essentially not just wasting time writing and writing and writing and essentially, you know, just praying for traffic to come to your website. That's awesome. So when you get someone, they say, uh, you know, I'm on an SEO strategy, what's typically in it? What are the kind of like the table of contents in an SEO strategy? Sure. So the way I operate at The Glorious Company is it all starts with, even before the actual SEO side of things, I like to even go back even further to the fundamentals, for example, topic research. 
And I know maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but things like Ask the Public or Google's, um, sorry, Answer the Public and Google's. Um, People also ask. Right, that one. Yeah. Those are examples of topic research. And of course, at SEMrush, which is my like default SEO tool, they have their own topic research feature baked into the all-in-one tool. So essentially different ways to get at the same end result, topic research. So the way I look at topic research is basically you try and identify what people are looking for, especially people in your market. And you can do that in a number of ways. Google's you know, list of what questions people are asking is a good one. SEMrush uh, has something whereby it looks at the resonance of specific content, whether it's headlines or articles, say in the top 10 search engine results pages for any given keywords, and they define resonance, for example, based on the number of social shares or based on the number of searches in a given month or week that you're looking at, again, for any specific keyword or keyword phrase. And then once you get an idea of what's hot, what's in demand as a topic, and especially all the better if it relates to your industry, then from there you have an idea of what kind of topics or topic clusters to really go and move into the SEO side of things too. And that's when you go to the keyword research and you, you know try and figure out. So let me kind of give you an example out of the blue dog food, all right? You can do a whole, you know, plethora of, of um, variations with dog food in your local area, the healthiest dog food, the best dog food, and what have you. So, for example, if you see on, on topic research, a lot of people, for whatever reason, are looking for, I don't know, like the healthiest dog food in Milan or something like that. You could essentially then take that phrase or a variation of it, say just the healthiest dog food, plug that into SEMrush's keyword overview, and then it'll spit out a bunch of related keywords. And from there is where you kind of lay the foundation of your content strategy. Because if you have, once you have the topic in place and then a keyword, you want to also look for what I call the sweet spot of rankability. Again, it all goes back to getting organic traffic to clients' websites. So once you put in the viability of a specific keyword, again, just as an example, healthiest dog food in Milan or healthiest dog food, you want to figure out if you know there's actually a good chance that your client site could rank for that keyword. You know, if you're competing with, I don't know, Wikipedia, New York Times, um, National Geographic, it's probably not going to happen for you. And, you know, it's no shame in admitting that. It's better to have a, a more plausible strategy than kind of shoot for the moon and then having no results or a very poor results. So you want, say, a difficulty level. And again, this is all based on the way Sem, SEMrush counts it, because that's my default tool of, I would go, even go as low as 50 or 60 or below. Um, SEMrush likes to say 70 and below, but I kind of go a little bit lower than that, just because again, I want to err more on the side of, yeah, I can rank for this keyword as opposed to okay, I can rank for this keyword, but then have still too much competition because the difficulty level is a high. So with a keyword level of maybe 50 and low, and also the other part of the equation is a search volume that's relatively healthy. So the way I do it is, again, I pretty much 
just benchmark it as if there's a global search volume of maybe a thousand or something, that's a pretty decent keyword to go for. You know, the U.S. is the biggest market for clients that I work with. So if, even if there's, say, a search volume of maybe in the several hundreds, you know, that, that's not bad at all. I'm happy with that. And again, when you have less competition, you also stand a better chance of ranking as well for the specific keyword. And the other thing with that, too, is that longer tail keywords, for example, healthiest dog food in Milan versus shorter keywords, for example, just dog food by itself, the longer tails, you, you tend to get people who are more ready to buy from you or who are more engaged because they're looking when they're searching on Google for such a level of specificity that, you know, in terms of their user or search intent, that they've already done research. They've already thought about it for quite a bit and they have, you know, dialed down to a very granular specificity. So when you do content planning and content strategy based on those types of keywords that are longer, okay, you may have, you know, less in terms of the search volume, but you have people who are more ready to and willing to interact and actually do the conversion once they go on the website. So that's another factor to consider with the entire content strategy. So I hope I, I kind of answered, I guess, the, the start of it, the topic research, and then going into what factors to look for when doing the keyword research. And then from there, obviously, you would identify the keyword plan. These are the keywords or keyword phrases that we're going to write content around. And then you start doing that over weeks and months because it's a long-term strategy at the end of the day. That's awesome. Thanks so much for, for sharing that. I, you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with content marketing strategies, like what to do for video and blogs, but it's nice to see kind of what, it's almost like the prequel. Here's the Hobbit before the Lord of the Rings. Totally, totally. Yeah. I want to know about this. You mentioned SEMrush or SEMrush a few times. Tell me about the benefits of having an all-in-one, well-rounded SEO content tool. Totally. So one thing I like when I'm doing content planning, content strategy, is I like to stay in one tool because it's kind of hassle to just go into too many tabs, several tabs, and we have a lot of data overwhelm anyway when we're behind our Macs or our PCs. And even though, for example, some of the other tools that we kind of hit on earlier with topic research, such as Ask the Public or uh, Google's uh, People Also Ask, I mean, those are also topic research tools. But again, just my preference, if I can do all that within SEMrush, I will, as opposed to having you know a few other tabs open. So for me, I guess the benefit of having all in one tool is it's really your one-stop shop for ideation and brainstorming, the, the actual keyword research, looking at the hard data of whether, you know, you can actually make a go for a specific keyword and whether it's worth it um, based on keyword difficulty, based on search volume, and then getting into the actual nitty-gritty of, of writing content. I mean, the cool thing about SEMrush is they even have a writing assistant. So as you're creating the content, you can actually see if it's optimized well, not just for specific keywords, but for other ranking factors like word length, like readability, you know, say a grade eight, grade nine, grade 10 level, obviously a lot more preferable than university, you know, highfalutin <laughs> language type of communication. And pretty much for any keyword, if you just go on Google and you look at literally the first 10 results for any given keyword on the first search engine results page, you'll see a constant pattern always of 
Each of those top pages is optimized for obviously the keyword and variations thereof, but also the word length. You know, much of times you'll find blog posts, articles, uh, things of that nature that are a thousand words or up. You rarely find anything that's like 400, 500, 600 words. It, it does happen, but the majority are always longer. And then also the readability level. Again, you'll be hard pressed for many keywords to find things, again, that are like at a university reading level, as opposed to something that's plain spoken and understandable by, say, middle schoolers, put it that way. Well, that makes that makes so much sense. And, and I think SEMrush is also famous. They've got their academy, they've got their certificates, which is pretty cool, and providing a lot of great resources for the industry. 100%, um, 100%. I mean, and, go ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say your your experience with it, it sounds like you're a fan. There's lots of options, of course, like Moz and Hrefs and Screaming Frogs and SEO Site Checkup, but it's nice that you are happy with SEMrush. Oh, yeah. When I first started, though, when I was, you know, so my agency's been around for about three and a half years. When I first started, I used more of an entry level tool. Now, now that you mention, obviously, the other choices, my entry level tool was actually one called Mangools. Um, they're probably little known. I think they operate out of Eastern Europe, actually. But wow. back in the day, that was, for me, when I was just learning the ropes of SEO, that was actually a really, really good tool. Obviously, a lot more limited than SEMrush, Ahrefs, Moz. But if you're, say, maybe just a freelancer SEO or you, you're just really trying to learn the ropes, that's a good tool as, as kind of the breaking in tool. And obviously, as happens with a lot of tools you use, and a lot, as more, you gain more experience, as it wasn't in the case of our agency at the Glorious Company, I eventually, we outgrew it. So basically, you know, when I was trying to figure out how to do things like keyword gap analysis. Can't do that in Mangools as one example. And I realized the you know massive benefit that something like that could give to our clients. And that's when I started looking into bigger options like Ahrefs. And I eventually decided on, on SEMrush because I, I just think that the number of backlinks and pages that they index, I think they've been around since 06. And I think they just went public as well. I think they're probably the oldest tool when it comes to SEO and it definitely shows, at least from you know my point of view, when I'm in the tool and you've got so much data to work with and interface is very easy to use. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is the cornerstone, put it that way, of uh, my content planning. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Yeah, and those, of course, there's Uber Suggest for those that want something free from good old Neil Patel, which is awesome. So kudos to him for offering that free resource. Okay, what I want to jump in next, I want to talk about, you've done a ton of blogging. You've blogged for companies like Shopify, Adobe, Wix, and Square. Those that are listening, those that have a blog, maybe for their own company or they're blogging on behalf of their clients, how often should a business be blogging? All really depends on the size of your business. So, because it comes down to resources, resources in terms of your team, how many people can actually ideate, create, write, and publish, and of course, manage things like a content calendar for your business or your website. So, if it's a smaller business, you know, I'd say to start, I'd say one to four blog posts a month. Okay. Or sorry, one to four blog posts a week, even. And of course, if you're a bigger business, I mean, as just one example, HubSpot, you know, if you're online marketing, you know, that tool, that website. And if you look at their blog, for example, I mean, they're, they're, they've got it divided into different categories. I think they have marketing, business and leadership or something like that. And I think in each of those verticals, they're pretty much publishing, you know, several times a week. So that's just an illustration of, if your business gets bigger, obviously you'll get more traffic. People start looking at you as a thought leader. And then, of course, you want to accommodate that and obviously keep growing. So for them, they're publishing a lot. But if you're a small business, I would say to start, you know, one to four blog posts a week and then monitor those results. If you have a tool like SEMrush, perfect. But, you know, Google Analytics, of course, is probably even better in terms of being able to figure out things like who's coming on your website, where are they coming from? How long are they spending on the website? Are they taking the action that you want, whether it's an outright purchase, whether they're signing up for your email, things like that. So, and of course, all that data, it goes back into your content strategy. So think of it almost like a a never-ending loop or cycle. What you publish on your blog, that creates data in terms of, you know, is it popular? And then you, you measure based on, how many people are looking at it? How many people, you know, visited that page? How long did they spend on it? Did they share the page, etc.? What's the overall organic traffic on a weekly or monthly basis? And then it kind of gives you an idea of, okay, so let's say again, going back to the dog food example, if something that was published on, oh, I don't know, the healthiest dog food in Milan or something, ends up being a really popular blog post. And of course, if your company is working in in dog food or with, you know, pets and in that industry, it kind of gives you an idea that not only are there a lot of people interested in that topic, but 
there's also obviously a lot of potential for your content creation. You can create topic clusters around that healthiest dog food in Milan and essentially create almost like a web of content that complements each other on your website. And that could be a part of the content strategy as you go forward in the weeks and the months. That's awesome. That's great advice. So what does a typical like blog three-month plan look like for a small business? You know, how would you map it out and what would you suggest they, uh, they put in there? Sure. So for starters, it all goes back to topic research. I mean, first of all, you want to be able to, to understand what your client's industry is and what their business is. So, you know, maybe even before getting into topic research, have a call with your clients, make sure you understand their business, ask them questions, you know, don't just communicate with them through email or on the phone or peruse their website, actually get on call with them. If you have questions, you know, make sure that you uh, double check to see if, you know, this say service offering they have is really what you think it means. And, and then if it is, all the better, but make sure you get clarification. Then when you have a good understanding of what, not just what their business model is, but obviously their goals, that's where you can go into, I would say, the second phase of the three-month plan, which is actually doing topic research. Now, I mentioned this before, which is that, yeah, okay, tools like SEMrush are excellent. I mean, sure, you could do topic research on, on other tools as well, such as Google's or Answer the Public. But at the end of the day, I guess it comes down to budget as well. If you're an agency, like we are at The Glorious Company, then it makes sense to invest, say, monthly or yearly in a subscription. And again, depending on if you're a freelancer or, say, a very small business or even a small agency like we still are at The Glorious Company, it really comes down to, you know, budgeting. And so the way we see it, I mean, it's a pretty penny for sure, but I mean... It's an investment and it just helps us deliver so much better value to our clients and get them better results. So we're more than happy to pay that um, subscription level. But I mean, if, for example, you're doing topic research, maybe on a budget, I think SEMrush has a free option. But again, I'm not even sure if topic research is part of the free version, to be honest. I know that um, if you're going to say do um, topic research with with things like People also ask or answer the public. I think there's also free and paid tiers, but you can probably get a little bit more into the topic, into the free side of topic research with either of those two versus SEMrush, which is more for, you know, let's say more heavy duty SEO, if that makes sense. So figure that out, whether you want to invest in that, whether it's worth it for your business at, at the stage of your freelancing career or, or your business. And if it is perfect, get a subscription. And of course, do the topic research, you know, figure out, again, for always for the client's industry and website, what is a topic, first of all, that's relevant? What questions are people asking for their for the topic? What, what are they searching for? And then from that ideation and brainstorming process, you can really start to home in on what types of keywords you want to start writing and creating content around. Uh, the earlier example I gave was um, healthiest dog food in Milan. If, if that turns out to be an actual, you know, let's say hot topic for, I don't know, let's say the month of July 2021, where we're recording this podcast, then what I would do is I would go straight away into keyword research and figure out what are the keyword variations? Is the keyword 
difficulty level 50 and below, again, going based on SEMrush language. And is, is the global search volume, you know, in the several hundreds at least or around a thousand? And if it is, I would identify that as a primary keyword. And then I would start to go into the keyword plan phase. So really it's topic research and keyword research. Now we're in the keyword plan phase, whereby if you do research using a tool like SEMrush, usually based on the criteria you put in, it spits out dozens, hundreds, thousands sometimes if you're working with a really big website in a big industry like maybe SaaS or e-commerce or something like that. And then you basically download that into an Excel spreadsheet. And then from there, what I like to do is I like to essentially divvy up the keywords based on priority. I put them into primary, secondary, and tertiary keyword levels based on my understanding of my client's business model, based on what topic research and what keyword research has showed me are viable competitive keywords that are you know feasible to rank for from the perspective of the client's website. And then once I have all that organized in my Excel spreadsheet, I actually do another follow-up call with the client to kind of walk them through that and then to actually settle on the actual content strategy because a client may have feedback that they'd like to give at that point too that I may have missed in the first iteration of that process. So kind of, I guess, to wrap up on the question, the three-month plan would be just the actual topic research keyword research, the actual keyword plan, the follow-up call to discuss and kind of to lay down the foundation of the keyword and the content strategy with the client. And then from there, over the next three months, you basically start writing high-quality blog posts, articles, web pages on a weekly basis. And you make sure you monitor it, I would say, on a weekly basis, whether it's in SEMrush or in Google Analytics, just so you are guided by an understanding of whether what you're doing for the client is actually working. And in our case, that would be driving to their website relevant traffic based on the keywords that we've identified for them in the keyword research phase. And also, you know, we're trying to get them on the first or second SERP for that specific keyword or variations thereof. So all those are metrics that we really follow on a weekly basis. And then uh, the beauty of a content strategy is that it's a long-term deal. So if, for example, after the first month, we figure out that maybe we shouldn't go so hyper-local with a keyword, maybe we have better success broadening our field. So maybe move away from uh, the healthiest dog food in Milan. Let's just go for variations of the healthiest dog food and whatever that might be and kind of retool the plan that way. And then for the second month, again, always monitor the data and see if that ends up getting them more relevant traffic, more conversions, higher placement in the SERPs. It's kind of a, a rinse and repeat process, but the cool thing about it is the more you follow it and the more you follow the data, you can really you know, sharpen and home the process until you are getting good results for your clients. So I got to ask about the word, when you use the word versus, so VS or versus and the word best in blogs, why do those perform so well? So that's interesting. Uh, the only thing that I can think of is that there are certain copywriting power words. I think this goes basically to human psychology. 
things are kind of just hardwired in us. You know, we, we like words like best or top or first rate more than, you know, words like average or mediocre, poor, etc. And I really think that the reason those, those types of, let's say, headlines perform well is because people, again, just almost on a subliminal or subconscious basis, they're really looking for content that respects their time and doesn't waste their time because the internet is what like how many pages do we have that are indexed billions and billions right so obviously if you know they come across a headline or a meta description that says here's the best here's the all-in-one guide yada yada whatever you want to call it it just makes life so much easier for the searcher because they're thinking to themselves you know what this will probably just answer all my questions or at least give me a really good introduction. Now, I also want to mention, though, that the reversal on those, say, copywriting power words, possible reversal is naturally, you know, don't deceive searchers. I mean, you know, nobody wants to click on something that's the best or the all-in-one guide, and then it falls short of that. So what I've been noticing is, again, just because of the proliferation of content, sometimes you'll click on something that claims it's the best not always the best. It's really just a way to kind of game the headline system, if you will, with like, like those positive words. So it's, I mean, for the people listening, if, if they want to, you know, really go for creating content that is the best, make sure it's the best, basically. And, you know, there are strategies like Brian Dean's um, skyscraper technique, where you really aim to essentially look at various factors for results on the the top search engine results page for a specific keyword. And you really want to create your content to outdo all those other pieces of content that are already currently live in everything from the meatiness of the information, the questions being answered, perhaps new information that isn't out there yet. So, so to me, something like that would qualify as the best or the top or the first rate, you know, guide to, Watch them have it. I guess the only word of caution would be it's a tall order to say that you're the best or your you know guide or your piece of content, your how-to, your list is the best. So when you do that, you know, take the time to really invest in the process, in your research, in you know, maybe you have to pay a content writer. Don't do it all yourself. Maybe you have to pay an agency. Don't do it all yourself. Just make sure when you put your brand's name out there and you say this is the best for this topic, just make sure it's the best. Okay. So next question being on that, we got websites like UpCity and Clutch for our industry that do so well. Like, I don't know if, you know, us as a individual agency would ever beat them. And why, again, do you think Google ranks like UpCity, like those listing sites and Clutch always on the top? Great question. I haven't really thought too much of that. I mean, from my understanding, Clutch probably works as a, as a good way to help people get in touch with professionals and specialists. The best, I don't know web designer or the best copywriter or the best SEO in, in this city or, or or in that city. So it's I think it's a good tool to kind of just, again, the list of choices on the internet is so almost infinite that, you know, people are just going through information overwhelm and they really want just a result that gets them what they're looking for immediately. So I think that's why Clutch and UpCity do well in that respect with their lists and with their best of rankings. Okay. 
That's awesome. So for someone that's maybe blogging for themselves, like they're not doing it for a client, but they're a micro business, a solopreneur, what's like the kind of the biggest trick they can do to kind of like get in the habit or get good blog content out there that also helps with SEO? So for more of a freelancer, I guess, somebody just doing it as a hobby, you mean? Or no, they own? own a company that sells cat sweaters and it's just them. They're the business owner, they're the copywriter, they're the website developer. What, what's yeah. your advice to someone who's got as very little time, very little resources? What's, what's your advice to them? Oh, you know, that's a great question because I mean, like so many entrepreneurs on the internet, I mean, I, I come from that background having to, you come from that background, I bet. A lot of people do where you're just yourself and, and then you grow. I mean, one of the hardest things for me anyway was really learning to delegate early on in my career. And I, I totally get that point or that stage in like your career when you are the owner, you're the accountant, you're the marketer. To tell you the truth, I mean, I was never all that successful with wearing all those hats and doing an awesome job at all those hats. So, you know, just to be brutally honest, if, if a person has a business and they want to be like, you know, a top blogger or publish a top blog, I think chances are slim unless they can really devote time to it. So sweat equity more than actually investing in, say, an agency or a copywriter to do that for them. You know, maybe that's spend your weekends doing that, run your business during the week and then on the weekend, learn the ins and outs of, of good copywriting. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of free content on the internet, whether it's YouTube, whether it's LinkedIn, Udemy, Skillshare, Domestica, yeah. you name it. Yeah. So my advice would really be, it's really sweat equity if you want to do it yourself. I mean, you're gonna, just going to have to put in the time to, to learn and, and then also to actually test it out in the real world, right? Because there's a big difference between learning something passively based on what you hear, based on what you learn in a course, then actually trying it out. I mean, the, the cool thing about growing is always the failure part, because I look at that yeah. as it gives you great data of what not to do and how to yeah. optimize yourself. So it's really sweat equity. It's really taking the time and also trial and error. I mean, yeah. if you're a small business owner and you're running your own blog, it's probably going to take you a while to start yeah. ranking for keywords that are relevant to your industry. Yeah. And especially if you don't have all that time to publish, say, one to four times a week or even one to four times a month. So again, if you are in that situation, you know, God bless you. But if you want to grow, probably at some point, you're going to want to have to outsource. You're going to have to want to go to a specialty SEO and copywriting agency to kind of give you an idea of the keywords to guide you and also write the actual content for you so that it's, it's readable. People want to read it. And of course that it builds up your brand as a thought leader. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me about your own work. Like how do you kind of practice what you preach kind of on your own brand and what you do for uh, the glorious company? So, I mean, one thing that I've found the more that I've grown my agency is that I'm, never stopping with learning. And it's almost a cliche, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm amazed always at how I think I know this, let's say SEO or copywriting to a T. And then I come across, say, a study or I come across a 
maybe an interview with somebody yeah. or, you know, sometimes it's just a how to video on YouTube. And I'm like, holy cow, that's yeah. something I never thought of. That's something I never tried before. Let yeah. me try that. And also what I find is that when you have that, those kind of aha moments, if you will, yeah. it yeah. also, it also you know inspires you to kind of brainstorm a little bit more about maybe applying something in that vein of something that you haven't tried before and just, you know, applying it to other things that you kind of took for granted in terms of, you know, thinking that you knew most of it already. So at this point, I'm honestly surprised how I don't have that much free time as a growing agency. The irony is that the more people say I work with on my team, you know, and obviously I delegate things that I used to do before, such as the, the content writing, some of the SEO stuff, but it see, almost seems like I'm busier now than ever just because I am having to and wanting to really learn whether it's just by, uh, I think you mentioned at the top of the call, something as basic as the SEMrush Academy yeah. or just, again, online marketing videos on YouTube. It's really limitless what you can, how you can, let's say, level up and increase your skill set on the internet. Yeah. That's awesome. Where can people find you, those that want to be in touch? Absolutely. Best place would be just the glorious company, ltd.com. That's the website of my agency, as well as LinkedIn. I really love LinkedIn out of all the uh, social media platforms. I just feel like if you're a serious marketer, if you're serious about networking, it's really, you know, beats hands down any other platform. Look us up on LinkedIn, the glorious company, as well as, of course, my personal profile page, Mark Schenker. And yeah, I mean, those channels have been really great for networking and for leads, whether qualified or unqualified throughout the years for me. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Marketing News Canada. Uh, we'll be sure to put your LinkedIn link in the uh, show notes. And thank you for walking us through the world of SEO and how content marketing and SEO are best friends forever, BFFs. Awesome, Darren. My pleasure. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Mark. And we'll see everyone next week on Marketing News Canada. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.